Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. You are listening to episode 146, and tonight's episode is the first Fresh Five episode of the year, roughly covering the months of January through May um, of 2022. Uh, these these are always some of my favorite episodes. Uh, if you've never listened to one of these episodes before, the concept here with the Fresh Five always is that uh, Frank, you know, is always making his list that we cover like, you know, multiple times a month, but um, he's always watching movies that he's never seen at the same time. So the Fresh Five are movies, the top five movies uh, that he has seen regardless of genre or year um, in the past, whatever, so many months. So usually five to six. So, uh, yeah, another really good list. More modern movies usually show up on this list, which we don't cover as often. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited, Frank. So how are you feeling about this list? Tonight? I mean, I thought it was I think it's really good. I really enjoyed all these movies. Um, to your point, like sometimes when we do the podcasts, I sort of get I don't want to say bogged down, but like I always feel like I really need to give the movies the respect of watching them again before we do it. So because I'm so busy with work, there is limited time for me to watch other stuff. So I get really excited when I find something where I've got like the two to three hours where I can just sit and watch a brand new thing that I've never seen. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I love, you know, love discovering new movies, love finding stuff. And there's a couple of movies on this list that I had no knowledge of before I just decided to watch them. So, yeah. Was there anything that you can think of uh, that, maybe came close to that you watched and you liked but what didn't quite make the list or anything like that there's actually one that's sort of the opposite of that where i really wanted to like it and i was super excited to see it and it just was not that great which is that uma movie Mm. um with sandra Mm oh um there's a movie called the cursed i think that's what it's called it's a horror movie that's been um up for rent on streaming that i like I've thought about running and the trailer looks really good. And I was like, man, that probably could make the fresh five, but I never pulled the trigger on it. Um, I think, I think had we not have discussed it in so much depth, I think maybe the Batman would have had Mm -hmm. a chance to make it. Um, although, you know, we kind of, we did do that on a podcast, right? On a, (laughs) We, we we did do that on a podcast spin, yeah. on, on, on a spin it, chagrin it was a spin chagrin it was um uh episode ooh, that was the jungle trap episode correct i think yeah i think that's yeah. right oh. we just talked about it after yeah um there was some other stuff i don't know a lot of the stuff i watch is older um like b and like z grade mm-hmm. um horror and genre films from the 70s and 80s uh so a lot of this stuff i don't know that i really am comfortable necessarily putting it on the fresh five so i kind of just hold off on those until we make like genre lists and then i find a reason to squeeze something in right yeah because you wanted me to you you were going to try to get me at some point with uh jesus fucking show me the way to the highway or whatever the hell that movie is yeah, I I really thought about putting that on this list. Um, I actually forgot about that until you just said it. So I watched that movie about four months ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I loved it. Like, I think it's a great movie. Um, I think it's guerrilla filmmaking, like, at its best. And I just, I, don't know, I, I really love the themes and the look of it. But 
like you didn't like it so much that it kind of made me think like well i don't know if i really want to talk about that and i feel like these movies are all maybe more like easier to talk about and easier to introduce other people to that haven't seen them um right whereas i think that you have to have a very specific love for certain like art house film to right really enjoy um jesus will show you the way to the highway but if you have an arrow subscription and you've got 80 minutes to kill or whatever it's just a pretty short movie um i really recommend checking that movie out just to see what you think um because i really loved it i thought it was a great entertaining film um oh the the rental back in january you mentioned it to me that you watched it um do you remember this movie dave franco directed um yeah it's the one with what's her name in it right allison burry yeah yeah um i so to kind of put that movie in perspective it popped up the other day mm-hmm. and i was like oh an allison Bree movie like i should watch this <laughs> uh-huh. um and then i like I had it up where I was going to watch it, but it was doing the thing where it was cycling through images. And I was like, oh, this fucking movie. Right. right. Um, yeah. I thought it was good. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really uncomfortable. And I thought it was very well acted and very well directed after watching yeah. it last night. And um, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what Dave Franco, like, you know, does next if he, if he has that kind of like ability, but um, I did not like the characters in that movie whatsoever. I thought they were all despicable kind of. And that's, that's the problem is I think that's the point. Um, so there's not to get too off topic, but there's a really big trend in modern slasher or thrillers to make the characters as unlikable as possible on purpose because they want to circ- they want to like kind of upend the traditional you know like oh let's make these people like really likable and then people will be invested it's almost almost a way to get you to cheer for the killer i think sometimes um or it's just maybe that people are generally terrible and people are just writing from experience and this is just what you get now is garbage human beings yeah so yeah it's a shame i've I've certainly noticed that trend and i think it undercuts a lot of horror so um i think in that movie you're really supposed to feel for allison brie i think that's the person that you're really supposed to connect with so when she dies it's really shocking it's supposed to be really shocking i think but yeah i don't know i mean i i don't know i i we we talked about allison brie when we did horse girl and we've talked Mm -hmm. about her i think another time too but i love allison brie and i think she's a fantastic actress but she gets cast in these roles sometimes where she's a very unsympathetic character yeah um and i don't know if that's on purpose because she's got like that wholesome like girl next door look and they just kind of yeah well turn the screw on her she's married to dave franco that's why she did this movie so oh well then that makes sense yeah um but yeah like i thought it was a good movie like you know um but uh, it's just uh i don't know it's just kind of annoying me about that trend so um i figure i just talked to you briefly about that here all right you want to jump into this list 
Yeah, let's do it. All right. So number five, I guess, on your list is The Sacred Spirit from 2021. It is directed by Gemma Garcia Ibarra. Um, it has a, let's see, 100% from critics, not a lot of reviews, but 100% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, and a not applicable score from audiences, although the audience reviews are largely positive um, through going through them. Um, so Spanish language film, you want to tell us a little bit about this and um, why you want to talk about it and put it on the list? Uh, so this is a really weird movie. Um, the general, the, the premise of the movie is that there's this UFO cult uh, that's comprised of these kind of socially awkward misfit people that meet under the tutelage of this man who's sort of their guru um for space travel and alien abduction uh who owns a real estate business and that dude dies so this group of people is kind of left aimless and under the sort of leadership of this one man who um was kind of the right hand man to the uh um what do you call it like the cult leader mm -hmm. so there's a subplot that's introduced where his sister one of her nieces is missing um and he he believes that the niece was abducted by aliens but the government believes that the niece was abducted and taken to turkey i think is where she they they think that she was kidnapped to um but he has this belief through i guess the tutelage of his his mentor that she's been abducted um because he was sort of preparing her to be taken by the aliens um to kind of save her i guess or whatever Mm -hmm. um so there's that subplot and his relationship with his sister and his other niece the younger sister of the girl that was abducted um then there's a subplot that the older gentleman the real estate aide or whatever um real estate developer shit i don't know i couldn't think of that word um his son who was estranged from him takes over the business and basically kicks them out of this meeting place they had in this man's store every night. Um, so then there's this other subplot with the fact that these people are all just really lonely, socially awkward people. And they kind of gravitate towards each other for that reason. And they try and hang out with each other. But um, Jose, who's the main character, um, sort of harbors this secret because he was the right-hand man so he knows some things that they don't know so he's kind of trying to still maintain relationships with them but also like keep this mission going of um i guess like alien transcendence and there's almost a religious association with it too like even though it's aliens it's kind of like a spiritual so hence the um uh, sacred spirit you know in the the title um and it's a very slow movie it's very much reminds me of something like agnes varda almost where mm. it's very slice of life but with some elements of i mean agnes varda was never really into like the absurd or fantastic but there would always be like some element of drama in her movies but also like very much this is a person living a life and this is what happens in their daily life so you know he's going to the arcade and he's going with them to on like a field trip and then he's like eating breakfast i mean it's it's a very slow movie 
um for being what like 90 some minutes long i think um uh anyway for however long it is um for not being like a super long movie like it's very slow paced until it gets like super weird so he's in charge of watching his niece and he takes his niece to this man who was the partner of the dude that died who's blind right Mm -hmm. um takes his niece there because he's going to help prepare her to whatever like be abducted or go with the aliens and you realize early on that like this old blind man is like obviously like molesting this little girl like there's a super uncomfortable scene where he she's led into a bedroom by this guy so he can what what is it like he's he's prepping her he's like seeing if she's ready or something like right. that. I can't remember like what the auspice yeah. is behind the, the thing, but it's very clear that she's uncomfortable and it's very clear that something like uncomfortable is happening behind this closed door while he's just sitting there. And you can tell that like there's doubt in him, but he's so convinced in the reality of this like UFO cult thing that he just like lets it happen. Yeah. Um, and you find out at the end of the movie that that's like a hundred percent what was happening is that these two old men were basically kidnapping and molesting these young children Mm -hmm. and then sending them into Turkey to be sold into sex slavery. Um, And the last scene of the movie is him listening to music. So he can't hear the report on the television that his one niece was found and that the man was arrested with his other niece and that they've been like molesting children and there's this child sex ring and this all kind of gets dumped on you i mean again like i feel like you get the impression that that's what's happening throughout all the scenes in the movie that kind of involve that mm-hmm. um but it's this this television report where the old man that died had all this child pornography like was found in some safety deposit box like in or whatever like some secret place inside the the business and they're all going to raid this man's home but he's listening to this like upbeat music and it's just kind of in my opinion it's like fantastically done so you know you've Mm -hmm. got this they're setting up this stage outside for what is it like a local like performance or whatever like some community thing Mm -hmm. and the SWAT team is going into arrest him and he's just blissfully unaware because he feels like you know he's done this great thing by like saving his niece when in reality he's basically just like giving her into child sex slavery um but I was really impressed with I don't want to say glacial pacing because that sounds like really negative, but I really like the purposeful pacing of this movie and the fact that they let weird things happen, almost like a, like a much more serious Napoleon dynamite in the way that it's kind of presented. Um, But like, you're always feeling that there's this impending tragedy that's going to happen, that there's this like sadness that underlies everything. And when it finally all breaks down, I mean, I think it's like super powerful, the end of that movie. And it's like almost like heartbreaking to think that, man, like this simpleton who's just trying to like do the right thing. But let me ask you this question. Okay. So I watched the end of this movie three times when I first watched, like I rewound back to the part where he puts the music on right before, like, and like leaves the room. Like he goes to like sit down at the wall right before it like shows you on the TV what's happening right 
Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't quite reconcile myself with the fact that did he know what was going on to a point, but was so convinced that there still was some like alien spiritual connection to it that he just went along with it? Or was he just so convinced that he never saw what was going on? Like, I can't, I, I can't quite wrap my head around whether I feel like he has culpability in the actual, like, not just, you know, Whatever, I think like, I think I, I think he's taken advantage of. I, I like to some degree, I I don't think he understands any of it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it makes it much easier to watch the movie if you think about it that way. But there's just a couple of things where like looks on his face, especially in that that mm-hmm. first scene where he takes his second niece over, you know, to the guru's house to be like tested or whatever. It, it really feels like there's looks on his face where he's thinking like, I know what's happening in there but it's just part of the process and i just have to let it go like i've like basically they've told him that you have to accept that we're doing these things because it's just part of like saving these people so i don't know i mean um but the fact that it made me think about it that much i think is a testament to how powerful it is and um not like an instant classic or anything but i think a really well-made movie that makes you think and is funny at points and sad at points and disgusting at points and i don't know i just i I really loved it and this is one of those things where i had no idea what this movie was i had never heard of this movie it just popped up one day and i was like you know what i'm just gonna watch this shit and i was really impressed so yeah i've seen a lot of lynch comparisons when when i've um i've like done some research on it or read reviews which I can see. I mean, I kind of, I kind of get it. But I think Lynch is like the always the easy target right. to compare somebody to. That's why I found your Napoleon Dynamite, like serious Napoleon Dynamite comparison, much more interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say it's a combination of that and like, um, like early, maybe like Richard Richard Linkletter, hmm. um, just in terms of the way things are filmed in a detached but purposeful way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so like. In Napoleon Dynamite, and we talked about this when we did this on the podcast, you know, the actions of the characters are ridiculous, but it's not filmed in a way to make you view the character as ridiculous. It's more of an impartial eye on a ridiculous action where you're allowed to make your own determination, you know, on like how you feel about the character. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I feel here. I mean, these are ridiculous people, but they're not filmed in a way where it's like slapstick or... <clears throat> condescending or anything like you're just allowed to kind of like watch these people interact with each other and you know like do their thing and then kind of come to your own conclusion i think about how you feel about them um because you know i think if i think if you film this movie differently he's you know a loser and his sister is this attention-seeking like asshole who basically doesn't really care about her children she just wants to give the impression she cares about her children and everybody else is a loser. And I don't know, it just, it never frames things like that. And I always appreciate a movie that doesn't force you into thinking, I don't know, like one way or another about his characters, like it lets you come to your own conclusions. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like tonally, it's a really interesting movie, like the way it strikes that balance, um, uh, which I thought was really interesting by watching it. It's filmed extremely well. Um, um, throughout uh, there's something i just i don't know there's something i was missing with this movie it felt like at times and 
I don't, I don't know what it was, but I thought it was really well filmed. I thought it was, I, I that last sequence is amazingly well done. Like, yeah. And hor- hor- horrifying and impressive, like yeah. at the same time. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's, yeah just, it's very, it's very rare when a movie can like gut punch me in a way where I just absolutely don't like see the twists, I guess. And even though I kind of knew, like I said, like I kind of got the feeling, like the fact that they were so blunt, because the movie's so sly about how it presents things to you up to mm-hmm. that point. And then it's just like, oh, and by the way, and then like, bam, like it just hits you with, you know, the secret of whatever, all that shit. And it's just, it's, it's really disgusting. So, yeah. 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 Good movie. Definitely worth watching. Yeah. On Arrow in the United States. Um, and then uh, foreign. Uh, listeners, it's actually on HBO Max um, outside mm. the United States. So, all right. So, number four on your list is also from 2021. It is Paul Thomas Anderson's latest movie, Licorice Pizza. It stars Alana Heim, Cooper Hoffman, Sean Penn, Tom Waits, Bradley Cooper. Has a 90% from critics and a 65% from audiences. So, you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and um, why it ended up making the list? Yeah, I mean, I guess I understand that. Um, so it's a—I hate to call it a coming-of-age movie because it's—it's kind of more than that. Um, it's a weird, like, spring-summer romance type movie um, about this kid who's uh, <clears throat> a bit actor in um, some variety, like children's variety show. Uh, but also an entrepreneur with his mother, um, played by Cooper Hoffman, who's Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh, son. Um, very high energy, high ego. Um, he's what fifteen, I think, right in the movie. Fifteen, yeah. Um, but wise beyond his years, and very much like feels. I guess almost like typecast as a teenager, and is always trying to like do things that are more adult or more mature um he meets uh the alana Haim character who um is a little older than him i think she's like 18 or 19 maybe even older than no that. no she's like 25 or something yeah right right yeah 20 yeah 24 or 25 uh she works for a glamour shots style company the people that do like their school pictures he falls in love with her and tries to woo her and then the course of the movie is basically like them sort of orbiting each other over the course of a few years um, with him, like, continuously trying to win her affection and then her, you know, sort of, and rightly so, being kind of uncomfortable with the idea of dating someone so much younger than herself, even though she's attracted to him. And then when she's sort of ready to make the move to, like, consummate their relationship, he's into somebody else or he's just not into her specifically. And then it kind of goes back and forth um sort of typical pt anderson in the sense that you'll have long segments that are just kind of i don't want to say masturbatory but you really can always tell like what 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 pt anderson is interested in when he's making his movies and the things that something where he just wants to show like this thing to you on film um and it was based on the real life story of i don't remember the gentleman's name but um some guy that was a producer uh slash like hollywood whatever somebody Mm -hmm. in the 70s i guess that pt anderson had met 
when he was like young in his career and it told him all these stories and he was fascinated by this man's like life so he kind of took those stories and created this semi-fictionalized account of um of this dude's existence <clears throat> it's very much a love letter to the time period it takes place in so and not like in the way the boogie nights is like a super like reverential love letter to the 70s and 80s like this is more subtle about it but it's still like the style of the time um the cars like the language um the emerging technology in the late 70s into the early 80s i guess what like the last part of the movie takes place in 1980 i think i believe that's correct um and all these like gimmicks that uh the the hoffman character comes up with you know so selling water beds and um then eventually opening like an arcade um out of his like failing water because uh, it, it's it's at the the gas crisis when petroleum becomes too expensive to manufacture the rubber shells for the water beds and so that goes under um some really great scenes um some of my favorite uh performances in the movie are from like the minor characters um there's a scene with sean penn playing uh, Will william holden that goes on for a little too long mm-hmm. and is ultimately shown meant to show you that he still cares about her even though like she's kind of blown him off because he blew her off um but maybe goes on for a little bit too long um fuck who is what is his name um bradley cooper's performance in it oh yeah um as a film producer who's just this like coked up sex addict who's dating barbara streisand and is like super obsessed with the material aspects of his house and is like an absolute bully um fantastic like role in the film and like just really like one of the greatest almost like a caper sequence kind of yeah and that's really like what the movie boils down to it's a series of like he's almost a cartoon character um the cooper hoffman uh character is because he's very elastic and he's very much into these like these schemes and almost feel like something you'd see in i don't know scooby-doo or whatever um so in the end you know they they fall in love and they embrace and they end up together um i think that maybe not one of his strongest movies but i think still really entertaining um 100 percent carried by the performances and the chemistry between Haim and cooper is, or Haim and hoffman is fantastic um i think they're both tremendous actors for being like both of them their first roles is that right mm-hmm. those are their first first screen roles for both of them i like her a lot like i think yeah. she has a great screen presence i think she's a natural actress that just makes you feel like she's a real person when you see her on screen yeah she's a musician as opposed to an act an actress yeah um and i like him a lot too i think that uh hoffman is they're both definitely like in the footsteps of his father um it's almost like ghostly sometimes watching him because he'll he'll make a face or he'll smile or something and like it's just Mm -hmm. 100 like that's philip seymour hoffman there on screen so 
it'll be curious to see you know where both of them take their their film careers going forward yeah um the one thing i want to talk about this movie so i i usually am perplexed by the audience score but i completely understand because there is a lot of like tonal dissonance in this movie where you'll skip number one it never gives you an idea of how much time has passed since the last thing happened and it never gives you a good like through line or thread really Mm -hmm. um and sometimes something will happen and then there'll be the next scene and it's not necessarily confusing but definitely not like well laid out and i when i was watching the movie it, it i i hated this movie for the first like 35 minutes of it i was sitting here watching it and i was like what the fuck like there's no context to anything it's just a bunch of like scenes that are happening you know like how much time has passed but after i finished watching it and i sat here and thought about it for a little while like i really i feel like what what anderson is saying is that <clears throat> this is not a movie about anything but their relationship so in terms of the context of the movie nothing else in their lives really matters outside of like their interactions with each other so even when you see them when they're apart it's still about either one of them pining for the other or one of them is about to come back into the other one's life so <clears throat> you know you need that context but i really just think that it's him creating this kind of like fractured love story for a couple that is definitely a non-traditional couple and possibly an illegal couple depending on like how you look at it um but yeah i don't know like i think that it i i really once i once i kind of got past my initial dislike of the way he structures this movie and the way that he it's edited together i just really kind of fell in love with it and i really just loved watching both of them perform and there was enough other stuff from the supporting actors that i thought was really great too that kind of just drew me in the one thing i want to talk about and i brought this up to you and i'm just going to say this um because it's in my brain all the time so there's a scene towards the end of the movie where he opens up a pinball arcade and it's the first pinball arcade and it's super popular and all these people are there and he's trying to win back the love of um the Haim character so he goes out and he buys a brand new suit and the suit he buys is this white polyester like disco suit that he then buys a red shirt and white tie i think anyway he's got like a red shirt on and some tie on and he's a he's a redhead so he's you know he's got red hair but he's grown his hair out so it's like floppy on the sides and there's a scene where he's standing in the the entryway to you know his his arcade and i'm looking at it and i'm thinking like holy shit like there's an x-man villain x-man spider-man villain called arcade who's this rich kid who basically turns into a ultra criminal where he opens up these giant like murder arcades and traps superheroes there to try and kill them and he wears a white suit with a red shirt and like a white tie and has red hair and it's like exactly the same image and i was just i don't know i was like because i i think i texted you and i was like does pt anderson ever talk about his love of comic books and i'm just firmly convinced that that's 100 like an homage 
an Easter egg or whatever you want to call it um, to that character. So, yeah, I, I know that he defends superhero movies. I did some of that research. Um, and I know that like his, I saw something where it's like his family apparently is like Marvel kind of like, you know, like really big Marvel fans and stuff, but I've never, I couldn't find anything where he actually talks about being a fan or anything like that growing up or when he grew up it would have been around the time that that was those characters were introduced so you know <clears throat> late 60s early 70s for the x-men and whatever and i think arcade is probably like mid 70s when his first appearance mm-hmm. um if i ever had if we ever have any kind of like success or <clears throat> anything i'm definitely asking pt anderson that question right He'll be like, don't you want to talk about phantom Thread? i'm like nah dude i want to talk about arcade <laughs> Uh, Phantom, Phantom Thread was on a fresh five at one point, I think, right? It was because it's, it's a fucking amazing movie. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Um, Loki, is one of my like, yeah, one of my favorite of his. Yeah, yeah, this is not that movie to me. Um, like at all. I, I, my look, this is a PT Anderson movie, so it's going to be well filmed. It's like you know, and stuff like that. And I, I agree with you. I think Hoffman Heim are, um, brilliant playing these characters i actually like sean penn in something here i not the biggest fan of bradley cooper i really like bradley cooper playing um he's playing john peters here which um famous hollywood producer um more famous recently for how crazy he was he's the producer that kevin smith talks about all the time doing superman um the crazy one that came one of the uh giant spider robot and all that kind of stuff like that's who this is based on um i really like bradley cooper in this a lot i felt it went on for more than like 30 or 35 minutes myself in terms of being disjointed i felt like it didn't actually gain any coherence until john peter's character shows up which is about an hour and 10 minutes into it so i i think you misunderstood what i said i hated it for the first 30 to 35 minutes because of how disjointed it was mm-hmm. this this movie is fucking disjointed throughout the entire thing oh okay Gotcha. I mean, you grew grew to accept the disjointed nature of it. I grew to kind of appreciate it and enjoy it because I was enjoying the interactions between those characters so much. And to your point, the John Peters, Barbara Streisand waterbed scene is so long that it's the only time where you really get this like really large chunk of like coherent action like occurring, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. it it finally gives the movie some purpose and focus to me a little bit. Um, I never hated the movie at all at during it. Um, I was nonplussed by the movie, um, throughout most of it. And honestly, until the end, I mean, this was probably is one of my least favorite movies of his. That doesn't mean it's, um, not a good movie, um, whatsoever because it's, it's, it's Anderson. Um, but I, I don't care for the time period. I don't care for the, you know how I am. I don't care for the precocious teenager um, at all. Like, um, but um, yeah, really well, really well acted. Um, some good, really good scenes, really good. Like, I think it's all vignettes. Like, and that's that's my problem with it. I agree with you absolutely on your read of it is that it's about that relationship. Um, that just doesn't hold together for me enough 
Um, I think you end up caring about those characters probably a lot more than I did, probably in the end. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, so I was thinking about this. Um, we we talked, you and I talked about The Shining recently, and mm-hmm. we were talking about Kubrick a lot. You look at something that P.T. Anderson does, and he's just such a great filmmaker that it always feels like fresh when you're watching his movies. Yeah. And I was thinking the same thing about Kubrick is like, even, you know, 30, 40, 50 years after his movies have, you know, whenever we're in theaters, there still is this amazing freshness to Kubrick because it's so masterful. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same way about Anderson. I mean, I think that, I think of all the working directors, you know, with all due respect to Tarantino, I think that the PT Anderson might be like this generation's greatest director. Um, I think that's just in terms of whatever he's in terms of what he's able to create and accomplish with this huge variety of stories and you know you can't really pigeonhole Anderson because it's always going to be something different so there's you know this like almost like gothic drama in Phantom Thread and then this quirky coming of age movie you know and then the ridiculousness of the master and I don't know he just he's pretty amazing so I'd really have to think about Tarantino's best comp, but um, I mean, I think you're exactly right. I think we talked about it some during Phantom Thread is like um, is 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 definitely P.T. Anderson is is this our generation's Kubrick. Um, I, I think without a doubt, like I yeah. don't think there's any question to that. Tarantino is more like Scorsese or something. Yeah, Scors- yeah. Scors- Scorsese before he got pretentious, you know. Yeah, yeah. Although Tarantino is also. Like, I don't want to pigeonhole him like that because I think he's got more range than Scorsese does, but... Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Maybe, like, Cassavetes is more Tarantino or something. I don't know. But Tarantino is more successful than Cassavetes, so... I mean, I I think... I I will say this, is I think Tarantino is a more unique, singular voice than P.T. Anderson is. Yes, I think Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think P.T. Anderson is probably the most skilled, like, uh, classical filmmaker um of, of the generation um but yeah i mean i think a lot of people will like this movie um i think 65 percent makes perfect sense to me um in terms of you know um which honestly like for a art house movie which largely this is an art house movie um 65 is a pretty good score overall yeah um, for that so um Because it's not overly emotional or anything like that. Because some things get higher scores because they're like overly emotional. And, um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. The, most of the criticism, though, was that like this lacks an edge and it's not his genre, which is really a funny complaint because, like, he just said, like, you know, the, the breadth of like all the different types of movies he's made, like, you know, it's like what's not his genre, like, in a lot of ways. But, um, and oh that's still pay right now right yeah Um, is it i guess yeah yeah. um all right number three on your list is 2022 it is titled x uh it is directed by ty west it stars mia goth jenny ortega martin henderson Brittany snow and owen campbell it has a 65 sorry 96 percent um 
from critics and a 75% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and um, why it made the list? You didn't mention that Scott Mascuti is in this movie, who is actually um, hip-hop producer and artist Kid Cootie, um, because it was his production studio that funded and produced this movie, which I thought was really fascinating. Hmm. I had no idea that he had done, like, so much, but he's, like, really, like, I guess, like, expanded his interests or whatever, his financial interests, but, um, yeah, he's, Kid Kid Cootie is the, um, the, the black actor in, in the movie, like, in the, the troupe, I guess, so, all right, X is a story about this group of, um, 20-somethings, attractive 20-somethings who are in the sex work industry. They do um, strippers and some of them are pornographic actors um, that are driving to this uh, farm that they rented from this elderly couple in order to film a pornographic film. Um, They're accompanied by this dude who's like a budding cinematographer that wants to basically add art into everything that he does and his girlfriend um very texas chainsaw massacre-ish in the way that they set set the stage and film the outdoor scenes like it's got that grainy like heavy texas heat feel to it um and i think it's obviously like i i feel like it's 100 percent an homage to texas chainsaw um up to a point um so they go to this house the old man that's there is kind of standoffish and cantankerous not very impressed with these young um, half-dressed people like hanging out on this property, but says he needs the money, says, you know, stay away from my house, like, don't bother with my wife. Um, so they go about starting to film um, their, their, their porno. <clears throat> uh, the Mia Goth character has this weird, she goes wandering off like one during the day um, almost gets eaten by an alligator in this pond and then wanders to the house where she has really uncomfortable interactions with Pearl, who is the wife of the old man. Um, it starts out seeming like very like wholesome and um, just like an old lady being kind, but then it becomes like weirdly sexual with the old woman like touching her and um, kind of trying to caress her and that freaks her out so she leaves. Um, the young girl that was there with the cinematographer um, decides that she wants to partake in the um, the action of the porn because um, she kind of gets talked into it. But she also, I guess, not even not not for revenge, but just because she's kind of prudish and standoffish at first, and then sort of gets like warmed up to it, and then they all fucking die basically. So um, I don't want to call it a run-of-the-mill slasher, but it becomes much more of just like a standard slasher movie at that point. Um, and does a really good job, I think, building these characters as real people, um, giving them some humanity. Uh, and I, I put this movie at this point because it kind of goes along with the next movie, just in terms of it just kind of looks at people that are in the sex work industry as regular human beings and not like perverts or freaks or, you know like degenerates maybe is another way they're just kind of normal people that just this is the job they do um 
so they're all dispatched one after another um, in various ways with uh, the church mouse, they call her, like the um, the young girl kind of like going to the house and getting trapped in a basement where she sees a man is hung up and being kept alive, like like basically like hung from, I guess, a chain or whatever from the ceiling. Um, and you find out the Pearl, the old woman, basically just wants to fuck Mia Goth, who's... Um, Mia Goth plays both roles. She plays the, I can't remember the character's name, but like the main pornographic actress. Um, and that's Pearl. Maxine. Maxine Minx. <laughs> You're right. Maxine Minx. Yeah. Um, the kills are all like well done. It's, it's practical effects. Um, there's a weird subplot where the old man can't have sex with his wife anymore because he has a heart condition and so he can't get an erection without like the risk of like dying um but then ends up getting killed by maxine um basically at the culmination of the movie one of the things and in the end maxine like runs over she she shoots the old man she runs over pearl's head um, and it's kind of like a, again, sort of like a Texas chainsaw like homage of her <clears throat> like screaming or whatever as she's driving away. So anyway, I love the way this movie looks. Um, I really like the characters in this movie for the most part. Like, I think that the performances are good. I think that it's more well realized in terms of the plot and your introduction to these people than you would normally get in a slasher movie. I read some online criticism where people think that it's so there's a lot of supposition that has to go into your understanding of what's happening in this movie and the motivation behind the killer. And really all they ever give you is a few lines of dialogue from the old man um, and some pictures that you see on the wall. But let me ask you your like thought on this. So a lot of people online say that Pearl is killing people just because she's horny more or less and her husband can't have sex with her so she's trying to no i'm just look i'm just telling you my theory about this movie is that they were always serial killers that they've been together their whole lives like murdering people and that part of her thing is she just has this like voracious sexual appetite she's almost like a black widow killer kind of thing where she's been a killer for a long time she's not just killing people all of a sudden like it's definitely a practice thing and i think they show you that with like showing like the cars like in the in the weeds and down in the swamp and whatever Mm -hmm. um and that when they have the ability to you know kind of like kidnap someone and keep them alive for a little while like that's what they do and that's her intention with mia because she's the one that she's most attracted to but she's always been like a murderer like it's I, I don't know if it's like if I would say always. I, I think it's been for a long time. Um, like I only say it because there's a line in the movie where they talk about him coming back from the war, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like the way that the way that he cuts between the pictures on the wall and her dialogue is implying that she was crazy. And that he basically had to take care of her because she was insane. And he just sacrificed like 
you know, his own life to kind of do that, like to be there to be the one to protect her. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I don't know. I, I took the whole thing as like this meditation on age more than anything. Um, that, like maybe there's like some sort of sexual attraction, but like the attraction is more about what could have been um, Pearl towards Maxine and that the underlying either mental degradation or the mental illness that's going on is spurred on by a resentment to youth and particularly like youthful sex or lust or something like that um where uh, like that, well, so this is getting a prequel um that they filmed in secret um so there there is another movie that's going to appear after this and like you said mia goth played both pearl and the maxine character so it's going to be called pearl and it's going to be about that character so i'll be really interested to see that movie as a companion piece eventually because i think it will answer a lot of these questions um probably but i i get this sense because there's little known about it um uh they a lot of people didn't even know they were filming this like while they were doing this movie but i it'll probably answer those questions but i I get this sense that it's like what you're going to see probably is something like that is like pearl young full of hope because it's it's like there's this idea like when maxine drives off at the end is like is she going to go make it in life or there's a line of dialogues from pearl or pearl right like about like where is she going to be at some point or something like that and it's like you're just you're just a whore like what are you going to be and right and it's like is the idea that she's driving off is it an optimistic ending where she is going to drive off and like kind of be okay and make it after this or is it going to be a thing where she turns into pearl at some point and it's like a never almost like this never-ending cycle so um that's an interesting question because the last the last scene in this movie um and it's bookended by basically like the same scene from the start of the movie to the end um, of the police going into the farmhouse and like investigating all these deaths is a preacher on the television who's talking about his daughter missing and his daughter is Maxine Mates. Like it's it's the Mia Goth character is the daughter that's missing. So she ran away to the adult film industry to escape her religious upbringing basically or whatever. So I don't know. I'm curious to see what the I I enjoy Ty West for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a good filmmaker. I think he has good instincts about horror specifically, um, for the most part. And sometimes I think he falls a little short. But he's one of the more interesting directors working that predominantly does like genre films. Yeah. Um. So I'm always interested to see what his movies are like, and I think it's incredibly fascinating that, like, to your point, they were filming another movie concurrently with this movie without any of the cast of this movie knowing that they were filming that movie yeah so i'm wondering if there's going to be maybe flashback scenes with pearl where she's like remembering things and it's the mia goth and the old lady makeup Um, yeah yeah but yeah like i i don't know i i really enjoyed it i thought it was yeah i did too i i thought it went very fast i thought it was very entertaining Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was really well written, very well paced, and I liked the way it was directed. Um, again, I feel like there's a lot of homage there, but I don't think it was so 
overt that it became distracting i just think it was like nice to be like oh like that's a shot like what 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 toby hooper would have filmed or you know that shot reminds me of um shit what one of the friday the 13th the way that um he filmed stuff in the barn maybe three um it made me think of um yeah i don't know i really enjoyed it this is a really good movie um i yeah it's one of these things where it's like I, it's one of the reasons I wanted to bring up the rental to you at the beginning, is because as a, as a as comparing it to this, I didn't. These characters are likable people, and they're real people, and like there's actually like real characterization that's going on here that makes them fully fleshed out human characters, as opposed to just like here's the person you're supposed supposed to feel sorry for here's the person that like you know is a dick and like you kind of want to see get killed and here's this like um it doesn't follow that more you know modern trope of the past 15 years of let's make our characters unlikable so it ends up be kind of becoming torture porn-esque in some way like so you kind of like are half rooting for these people to die um i actually felt bad that these characters died um i don't think the movie was trying to make me feel bad necessarily once the killing starts um it the, the killings so, start happening so quick and so brutally um that it's like it's not milking it whatsoever but i i didn't want to see these people die necessarily so there is kind of a horrific element to to me in those last like 25 minutes um but yeah, really well filmed. Um, the, the scene that gets talked about the most, probably like online, is the um, is the old person sex scene um, that happens um, at one point <laughs> through the movie and uh, in the movie. And uh, I, I thought that was, uh, you know, like not to sound ageist or something like that, but it is 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 a little uncomfortable um, to, to to watch the rutting um, that is that is going on in that scene. But um, uh but really even that sequence really well filmed um you know out of all of it and it's it's definitely my second favorite ty west movie i think so here's here's another thing that i'll say before we move on from it like you look at this movie which is definitely has elements of homage to texas chainsaw the original yeah and you look at 2022's texas chainsaw and like Mm -hmm. that's what's wrong with horror is that people very few directors truly understand that i shouldn't say very few there are select directors that are very good at like just understanding what it is about imagery and pacing and plot and whatever that makes something horrific or makes something scary or makes an effective scary movie and then you watch something like that 22 texas chainsaw and it's just like you're right some people just don't get it and ty west can make this movie that's so much a better texas chainsaw massacre movie than the actual texas chainsaw massacre sequel that came out so yes i completely completely agree yeah um i just re rewatched house of the devil recently um and uh brilliant horror movie yeah um, really that good you, that you introduced me to uh, in the past couple of years on a on a list and um yeah, I mean, he he definitely like understands horror, like so. Well, this was that on. 
that's on the cult list um that i that i right. pimped a couple weeks ago um on the podcast and and we got some downloads on that episode so it worked. well pimp it again pimp my <laughs> i think i think it's episode 70 if i remember correctly um top five movies featuring cults horror movies featuring cults i think it's called um yeah, house of the devil is a really great movie yeah yeah definitely is um but yeah house this is the- really good yeah house of the devil so and we we talked about this like a couple times on the podcast but when all these movies were gaining this this ups upswell of positivity towards horror especially indie horror i felt that house of the devil was the absolute best movie that captured the feeling of 1970s horror films like i felt like it 100 just nailed the look the feel and that's i mean that's his thing i guess and he's really good at it and yeah i think that you see it in this movie so absolutely absolutely um i love the way this looks i love the way it's filmed yeah it's Um, really good so i think this is my like probably like very subjective personal favorite that's coming up here um number two on your list which is also going to be the second of three different a24 movies um which always seems to happen on the fresh five um Mm. rightfully so but it's 2021's red rocket directed by sean baker it stars simon rex Susanna sun and brie elrod has a 90 percent from critics on around tomatoes a 74 percent from audiences you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and uh why make the list so i'll agree with you this movie could have been the number one movie i just i like the juxtaposition between like the sex work mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. between sure. x and, and this good theme um with with his movies it, it's really difficult to talk about like true overarching plot because he's more interested in the lives of the people that he's showing and kind of like and he said like normalizing the idea of people that are involved in you know like the sex industry um but simon rex plays um fuck what's his nickname saber or something like that plays this um fading yeah saber is his nickname yeah mikey saber mikey saber yeah plays this fading pornographic actor that's left los angeles um under dubious circumstances and return to his hometown in Texas, uh, where you immediately see that he's not welcome, um, especially by the people he goes to see. Turns out that it's his former girlfriend, who is also a pornographic actress and her mother, um, that they had left together at one point to go seek their fortune in Los Angeles and had fallen out, fallen into drug abuse. Um, So Mikey is trying to do whatever he can to kind of grift his way into something like, and it doesn't really matter what that something is. He's just, he's going to try and connive and scam. Um, he becomes a low level drug dealer for this prominent family um, led by this um, older, older black lady uh, who uses her children as kind of like her muscle. Um, and then, he sells drugs for them. He develops this friendship with this um, socially awkward guy who um, used to idolize him like when they lived there before and now is kind of hasn't really gone anywhere, but still like idolizes the idea that the, this guy, you know, who is this porn star, um, he becomes obsessed with this 17 year old waitress, not waitress, a counter girl at a local donut shop um, named Riley. Uh, who he calls Strawberry, or I guess her nickname is Strawberry. 
um, because he sees her as this almost like can't miss like porn actress if he can convince her to get into the business. Um, so he lies about himself to kind of impress her and then is lying to his ex that he gets back to living with and having a sexual relationship with um, in order to stay in the house and gets very haughty when he thinks that him and strawberry are going to leave to go to los angeles to make all this money and then finds out that he probably shouldn't have been so haughty because um the drug dealer family is friends with the mother and the daughter and come and take his money and take his drugs and kick him out naked um he's involved in a horrific like multi-car pileup while driving with the next door neighbor friend um, because he distracts him and tries to get him to merge over like several lanes of traffic and causes this like terrible, like it was like 25 people dead or something, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mikey feels like uh, he might, you know, be held accountable for that, even though he ends up like getting away. And in the end, he's kind of just left with nothing. You know, he has what, like a couple hundred dollars that they let him keep and right the hope that maybe the 17 year old girl is going to want to like still come to Los Angeles with him or that he can stay there with her and her mom. Um, amazing performances. Uh, Simon Rex is a revelation in this movie. I yeah. would say um, right. who would have guessed right for being like a dude that was a joke yeah. for the majority of our teenage years and early twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, to be such a great natural actor and just so believable and pitiable and charming, but also yeah. like slimy and terrible sure. and just this sure. really complex. And I want to say that, so we talked about, um, fucking, uh, Florida project before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you and Sean, I have, we've never talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, Okay, so Sean Baker is doing something that I don't think anyone else is really doing, and it's making these movies about people that live on the fringes of society and making them in a way where they're compelling and heartbreaking, but also heartwarming sometimes, and just like crazy good, and getting these amazing performances out of people, telling these really small stories about parts of society that we might not usually talk about sure and 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 i would just add real quick to that description not always sympathetic though even though they're heartbreaking or right definitely it's it's again it's my point like when we were talking about um uh the sacred spirit that like Mm -hmm. it's not being presented in a way that's judgmental ever it's presented in a way where it's like this is what's Mm -hmm. happening it's up to you yes Almost, um, I mean, it's definitely not docu like docudrama style, but almost in the way that you would film a documentary where you're just like letting the camera just record like what's occurring without any kind of um, influence or preconceived notion or whatever. Um, yeah, but he's just really brilliant. And most of the time when you focus on something that involves like sex in particular, like it's going to be somewhat exploitive. And, like, this dude is never exploitive in the way he films things. Like, he's very cognizant of how his subject is being presented on camera 
and he always does it in a way that's very human mm-hmm. and believable um without being like stilted and stuffy or whatever so i don't know i just i i really like this guy a lot i think he's definitely one of my favorite like another one of my favorite like modern working directors um like next to like uh eggers and um ari aster mm-hmm. um people that i just like will always go out of my way to see the movies that they make yeah um, i'm I'm also excited about men coming up which is mm-hmm. um, the annihilation guy i'm having a hard time remembering his name but um <clears throat> i saw that trailer and i was like jesus what a great damn trailer um uh yeah sean baker i think is definitely having seen tangerine florida project and this um is definitely like one of my favorite modern filmmakers he's I, i've read a, a enough about him he's he's really inspired by the the dog may 95 films and principles um largely like you know from Lars von Trier um so it's like and what's fascinating is like he I I did read an interview with him where he talked about like not wanting to like it's like it opened up to not worry about the lighting of a scene if you just follow the character but damn it if the lighting in some of these sequences isn't absolutely brilliant um but I think it's more naturalistic a lot of times um I'm specifically thinking when he goes back to the um house near the end and the light of the television keeps shining on him from the living room yeah. when he's standing in the doorway it feels so damn real I, this is one of those movies uh, uh i've talked about in the podcast before where I, like i i was watching on my ipad and i'm sitting outside in darkness watching it because it's night it was nice it's nice outside now so and there's something about like you know it almost gives it that theater feel to me um like when i'm doing that and the lighting on him from that television is just masterful yeah it's really good um and you already talked about simon rex i also want to say that this Susanna son that plays um riley yeah strawberry strawberry yeah she for someone who apparently he just encountered like that was like kind of it's kind of like a musician like a study classical music and encountered at some movie premiere and went to talk to her and then like basically all for her audition what a damn fine there too like she just nails that damn role and it's got her some work on like hbo an hbo show right now like um uh but she's really good in this as well and then he casts all these people that aren't actors or actresses they're more like real people and um he did it in the florida project and he did it here and like rounding out the cast with so many people that don't really have a lot of acting experience or any acting experience gives it this like realistic feel um constantly and um i'm just always really impressed like with like every like everything i've seen of this guy does and the last thing i'll say is like this guy's attention to detail in these people's lives in terms of mise-en-scene like when you're looking at um oh what is what is her name lexi is that right is that that's his um yeah his ex-wife uh when you're looking at like you know lexi's like bedroom which like the bed doesn't have a 
frame it seems like you know um and it's like you look at her nightstand and the lotion on the nightstand and like the things that are on the nightstand like this ashtray and the lotion and all this stuff it's so real to this like just lower income like family like everything makes perfect sense for the character and the situation that they're in like economically and like everything just makes so much damn sense when you like actually pay attention to the details of every single room um and it's just it gives it this the way it's filmed and those kind of things like mise-en-scene and like you know how the set decoration works always gives it this like and the actors always give this super naturalistic feel to where it feels like you actually are watching a real slice of life and they're just amazing movies yeah. not in everybody's cup of tea probably um but really amazing i actually didn't realize i've also seen starlet which i liked but it's been years since i've seen it mm, so. yeah that's one that hasn't come out free i haven't seen anywhere uh, uh, really yeah it was free on prime forever mm. Because there was another one where it would come up like, oh, maybe I should watch this. No, it's like, on oh, Tubi yes. now. Okay. I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you should check it out. I mean, it's yeah. it's uncomfortable, but um, sure, it's really good. Okay. Um, But yeah, definitely the guy to watch. And uh, But I'll just say, fucking Simon Rex. I would have never in a million years guessed that Simon Rex could do something that well. Um, And while it's like he's not a drug addict or anything like that, man, doesn't he feel like every addict you've ever known your entire life yeah it's true like um it's just like the the charm and the quick the the fast nature of his speech and like just like right how like he's trying to do like not hurt people but he knows he's going to hurt people and it's like it's 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 an amazing performance um it's also in his accent too because he's got that really um I don't even know what to call it, like down-home twang kind of thing to it that makes him seem like down-to-earth and up-front, even when he's, like, full of shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've I've known people that are like that, that kind of affect that sort of speech, um, especially when they're trying to get over on you. And you know what's fascinating is, like, he doesn't have it at the beginning, and then when um, Leandre or whatever, like, points it out, that, like, he's, like, lost his accent yeah um he slowly starts like the longer he's there he starts slipping into it more and more um as like a as a tool um as part of his con i think it's yeah great movie um he um i know he got nominated for like a bunch of like you know more more minor awards um but yeah i'm i'm surprised the only thing he won he did win the independent independent spirit awards um for the movie but um uh, but yeah he definitely deserved more recognition for that role um all right so number on your list is 2021's come on come on directed by mike mills stars joaquin phoenix woody norman and gabby hoffman it has a 94 percent from critics and a 78 percent from audiences on rotten tomatoes and that's Ellis. weird what the 78 percent yeah yeah that, that that feels low to me hmm. all right um so uh tell us a little about the movie um why you like it so much and why do you think the 78 percent is low from audiences i mean so again this is another sort of just like uh, slice of life isn't the right way to put it but 
very small story. Um, Jacqueline Phoenix is a sound recorder who, an interviewist who goes around and records. Um, he's doing a series of basically like children in distressed or low income areas where they're recording their conversations. Um, he gets called by his sister who needs him to, on an emergency basis, take care of his young nephew. Um, which he is completely ill-equipped to do because he has no idea how to take care of a kid. Um, but the father is a conductor, like concert, I don't know, something. He, he's a musician who suffers from schizophrenia, I think. Yeah. Um, so. so the movie is about Jaqueen Phoenix's character getting to know his nephew, basically. And that's the entire film. And how his relationship with his nephew sort of helps him become a better person and become more, more adult kind of um, considering that it's, they're all people that have these jobs that no one in real life has, I guess, but, you know, kind of grounds him a little bit and teaches him how to love and teaches him how to, you know, the value of like being there for his family because he's very distant from his family most of the time. Um, fantastic performance by the kid mm -hmm. along with Phoenix. Um, there's a great, almost like father-son chemistry between the two of them. And just like seeing them interact and like seeing, you know, this kid who's trying to process like this developing friendship with his uncle um, with the idea that his father might be committed to an insane asylum and his mother's been gone forever and um, just sort of growing too, like out on the road and just kind of learning. And it was, it reminded me a lot, um, a more like lo-fi version of something like Chef, mm -hmm. um, where you see like that bonding between like a father and son figure mm -hmm. <clears throat> that grows stronger over time. And it's just really well done. Um, Phoenix is fantastic in this movie. Um, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know like what, what's not to like about it really i mean i guess maybe if like slow drama movies aren't your cup of tea then i guess i could just see slow boring you know blah blah that's i mean that's what you're getting out of 22 percent that yeah. didn't like it um i i just kind of like refreshing myself just so i knew so here's mark c um of rotten tomatoes 90% is just various adults falling over themselves to grovel before this insufferably jerky kid. And the other 10% is young children giving bizarrely pretentious answers to questions from the most boring NPR show one could possibly imagine. Um, so, yeah, I just think, like, you know, like, I think it's obvious I'm not a big fan of kids most of the time, like, when we do these podcasts, but, like, <laughs> that's a jerk, that's a jerk-ass answer right there, like, yeah, that's I mean, fucked up. Um, <laughs> like, that's somebody who really hates children. Um, so, uh, be beautifully shot in black yeah. and white against the backdrop of um, the Bronx and somewhere in New Orleans, I can't remember what district they're in, um, and I guess Los Angeles to a point as well, yeah. but just really great, powerful, low-key cinematography, mm -hmm. um, amazing performances, very naturalistic dialogue, like some of the best just human dialogue I think I've heard in a long time, especially between like an adult and a child 
where it makes the child seem like a child without seeming like a caricature of a child. So yeah. it's not just, I mean, that criticism of him being insufferable is ridiculous. I mean, he's this kid that's like had these terrible things happen to him and he's just trying to find a way to cope with it. Like, but <clears throat> some real palpable feelings of like uncomfortableness to me, like when Jacqueen Phoenix loses the kid a couple of times um because that's a terrible feeling as a parent when you're like oh my god like where did they go um and it really does like capture that feeling because you don't know where the kid went either for a portion of it um but yeah just really powerful really well written just a, a lovely sweet hopeful movie that i found to be just amazing when i watched it so yeah this is absolutely the type of movie i should hate like but it's like out of the two of them that you've like had me watch um in recent history like chef and this i've liked both of them for very different reasons because i got good taste better but right. <laughs> um <sighs> you, need, you, need to, you need to suck in some of that taste and like you know so you can so you can finish finish it out um oh i'm gonna get some taste. coffee when we're done okay um we got one more movie to talk about anyway. i know i know um i'm saying that just save it save up your taste so you can, you can talk about that one um but yeah i it's funny that like looking at that mark c review i thought one of the things i liked bo- most about this is that documentary aspect with the interviews with the kids um because i did some research all that's real like none of that's like putting dialogue in those kids' mouths when he's talking about them being pretentious or whatever. Um, those are real kids answering real questions, um, and I think listening to that and then particularly in over the credits, listening to some of those answers, right, um, is extremely effective and extremely moving, and um yeah the relationship between these two characters is powerful it is subtle i think as opposed because there's all this stuff that's going on on the surface of this movie and then there's all this stuff where they're very very similar and i think they're both on the spectrum in some ways and i think that they are connecting with each other and bringing out each other's emotions when those emotions have largely been suppressed yeah um all i mean, in, definitely think that's true all in that like you know um great scene like towards the end when they end up like kind of like in the woods together like, screaming at like, each other screaming at yeah, each it's, other. Uh, yeah it's, uh, that scene's amazing yeah it, it made me tear up like i mean um that scene like just um you know just the just the realization that you're allowed to let it out um which probably says something more about my psychology more than anything. right um <laughs> all buttoned up <laughs> um but yeah really well done movie um i i the last thing i'll just say here about this is more not about the movie but a24 just it's like anytime i see anything with a24 on it now like i just automatically um just assume that like it's going to be good like like without a doubt oh yeah um it doesn't even matter what the genre is like i mean I, it's just something that like i i can just assume that it's great um 
I don't know how they keep doing it. Whoever is making those decisions is just nailing it every single time. And the thing that's crazy is that they've only been around for 10 years. Right. You know, like, so. Yeah. But yeah, if you go back and look through their filmography, I mean, it's almost all. Once you get past a certain point, it's almost all hits. Yeah. Or at least movies that are worth um, worth checking out. Um, yeah, I love I love A24, and I'm always excited to see the A24 logo come up on a movie because pretty much the mark that it's going to be worth seeing. Right. No, absolutely. Um, and leads us into the next movie, which also. No. Nah. Is that A24? It's not. Oh, man. I know. I think his other movies were maybe, weren't they? Um, Actually, no, I don't think that... Um, I don't know. I don't uh, think Lighthouse was. I think it was just The Witch. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, this is... Um, uh, regency um enterprises and then distributed by focus um so kind of like bonus um bonus movie here is 2022's the northman directed by robert eggers it stars alexander skarsgård nicole kidman anya taylor joy clay's bang and ethan hawk it has an 89 percent from critics a 64 percent from audiences um so i don't know where this would have actually ranked kind of number um, one number 100%. one okay oh, yeah. so it's still kind of number one i guess it's where it belongs okay um but um yeah uh we just uh both watched this um prior to kind of recording tonight um for the first time and um uh i think both of us are very impressed so you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and why you put it number one so an adaptation of the norse story that um hamlet is an adaptation of kind of mm-hmm. like that inspired hamlet um eggers creates this tale of a young man whose father is killed um by his uncle and who's sort of cast out into the the wilds of the world and grows up um to be a man but with like no real focus in his life except for getting revenge on revenging the death of, of his father um and then you follow him as he uh basically finds out where his uncle is and he comes back to seek revenge and there's all kinds of the typical things that you see in Norse mythology so you got like the Norns and um, fate and you know witches and um, there's definitely a fantastical element to it but it's all very grounded in reality as well Um, I think I said to you over text this is what Peter Jackson wishes that he had done in the Lord of the Rings movies, which is that perfect balance between um, a fantasy setting and something that's like kind of gritty and yeah. <clears throat> like hues close to reality. Um, it's funny because the the last scene of this movie is a duel over an active volcano. And I was thinking like, oh my God, like George Lucas must be like so furious that this dude, you know, made the final scene of Revenge oh, yeah, of the fucking, Sith. Like, I fucking owned it. <laughs> right so much better right even with the dicks like dangling around because they're <laughs> fighting naked in this goddamn caldera or whatever um really great performances by Skarsgård, anna taylor joy um ethan hawk in a small role um 
what's his name? Uh, shit. William Defoe. William William, Defoe? Well, yeah, Will, Will, Willem Defoe in a minor yeah. role. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah it just it's Bjork shows up in a small role. Yeah, Bjork is an orange. First time um, in a long time. I love like the. I love the way that Eggers is not afraid to make the choice to hold his camera on something when it matters, but move his camera other times to give you a sense of motion and just like impetus to like move the film along. And I, it's hard to explain because he does it so well in the lighthouse. Like there's so many scenes in the lighthouse that he just makes you so uncomfortable by focusing on like, like tightly focusing on this interaction between these men and then also will like sweep the camera on you or like move it where Mm -hmm. you get the sense of motion and urgency inside his movies and i think that i i think this is his best film in terms of doing that because he just captures this it's the perfect blend of epic fantasy and just realistic action i guess and it never feels archaic and never feels pretentious or overdone it's just this amazing brisk two hour and 30 minute movie that never never gives you a chance to rest necessarily it never gives you a chance to get bored and it's just continuously like moving along and man like Freaking Skarsgård is amazing in this movie. Like that dude is so good in this role. And it's considering I've seen some roles where he's terrible. This yes, this is absolutely true. This is like the best role I've ever seen him in. Yeah. Yeah, and almost like unrecognizable. I mean, there's mm-hmm. times where just the way that it's shot, because he's he's so monosyllabic and like monotone for a large portion because his whole life has been spent mm-hmm. focusing on the it's it's and you you brought up this analogy, but it really is a great analogy, is it's like this is Conan the Barbarian done seriously and done by a master filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a very similar story in that respect, even though, it, again, it's, it's pretty much just Hamlet. Um, but, you know, the idea of like him being sent out into the wilds to mm-hmm. kind of gain strength, you know, like escaping as a child from this massacre, him fucking like biting the nose off that dude as he tackles him is, and there's, yes there's there's some really that was un- the first time i popped like in that movie is yeah like, yeah there's some really um uncomfortable not not uncomfortable there's some really graphic violence in this movie um but it's all very earned and it doesn't feel like exploitive at all um i don't know man i just i i really dug it i thought it was great to watch i thought it looked beautiful i thought he captured color really well i thought he was very good at like the only, the only minor complaint I have, and I want to watch the movie again to see if it's even a minor complaint, showing, like, their family tree in CGI, I felt was a little much, and I didn't, I understood it at the end, like, when you finally need to understand it, sure. but every other time I saw it, it was kind of like, eh, this just looks like kind of garbage, like, there's no other way you could have done this, um, but I guess not, and it still works out, so, Yeah. Um, Eggers is a brilliant filmmaker. Um, I like the the complaints from most of the audience members for that sixty four percent is that 
always over the top you know i walk out halfway through um that bullshit but it's like um it's either too slow or too boring or too artsy um are the are the major complaints and i mean it does make sense to me like given modern film goers like that that opinion exists um because it's too slow in between the action pieces of the movie which are some of the more brutal action pieces i've seen in quite a long time agreed and what i think it is is that um you're right like he is a guy who he's a guy who like all the great filmmakers knows entirely what is in frame at all times and how to manipulate you as a viewer into reacting a certain way or feeling a certain way like by the movement of the camera um you know and stuff like that but it's like he's also like bergman in the sense of like being like a minimalist yeah of what is on the screen so it's like this like weird like very classical director with a bergman sensibility yeah, with a Bergman sensibility, making movies in the 21st century with 21st century ethics and ideals. Right. Um, and it leads to this fascinating combination of a lot of things. And all three stories are extremely different than he's done so far. Yes. Um, and I well, mean, he's, probably he's... Lighthouse and this probably are closest thematically to me, but even The Witch has like those elements like of religion and masculinity dominating like you know so many things like it's it's a really interesting filmography so far um nobody wants to talk about how like because of the type of movies he's making like this dude at the by the end of this movie but this dude's kind of he's kind of a woke director and you would never know it like watching his movies actually yeah um he's very i think very interested in the idea of like what constitutes the family unit mm-hmm. and what what we take from the people that we you know are like either forced to associate with or associate with um whatever like voluntarily and the fact that this hawking behemoth viking or norseman is willing to give up like his whole entire like life quest to be with this woman because he loves her mm-hmm. um and isn't until he realizes that the only way that he can protect her is by sacrificing himself i mean all that shit's like super brilliant so sure sure and i love the twist from hamlet too of nicole kidman who does an amazing job in that one specific scene um when he kind of like finds out the truth of everything that happened when he was a child uh, Nicole Kidman nails that damn scene and um, I love the twist on like the traditional Hamlet story of like not fully knowing information and you find out all the information here and um, it's it's pretty pretty horrifying pretty brilliant to watch play out yeah well her like just cackling at him as mm-hmm. he runs out I mean yeah. that's um yeah 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 anyway definitely worth watching it's on Amazon Prime now yep um, so if you are inclined to spend twenty dollars, um, it's definitely worth watching. So yeah, definitely another another guy that 
is definitely like a current favorite filmmaker i think of both ours so it's like um guy a guy to watch i mean as i don't know how old he is i should have looked that up um but i think he's he's what pt's like um what like 10 years older than us or something like that roughly somewhere around is that right and early to early to mid 50s yeah um Eggers is um oh Eggers is yeah Eggers only a couple years younger than me so um he's still around forty I guess it was a late start um but yeah definitely a guy to watch oh um, yeah hundred percent yeah all right well thank you Frank enjoyable list um I always I always like these fresh fries and being able to talk yeah, about modern too. movies and you know kind of putting putting things together about modern movies from our past movie watching experiences and all that kind of stuff so um another episode i'm looking forward to is next week's episode um which is my annual episode which is the top five movies that chris lust and frank is indifferent to um I don't, I don't, I don't think that's what's next week's movie or list is. It is, it is what next mm, week's list is. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, uh, but then we end the end the month with the top uh, horror movies of nineteen seventy four. So yeah, it's good. List. That's good. Um, and um, yeah, and then we'll be, and then uh, we continue on in June with the top five CGI animated movies, and then we will do our hundred and fiftieth episode. Um. Which will be a three three to four part episode. Um, we've been doing some extra work already um, on some of that. But um, any final thoughts tonight, Frank? Nope. It was a good episode. I really enjoyed seeing all these movies. Yeah. Super stoked that I was able to see the Northman. Yes, yes, um, definitely was very happy with being able to see that. So, all right, thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good week. Have and, a good day. Yep. Deuces.